Valentine's Day awake in church. I dressed up for you. No, I didn't. I dressed up for my wife. Um, thanks for uh, braving snowpocalypse number four this year, I believe. There are seven snowflakes that fell today in Clark, Clarksville, Tennessee. And um, I'm sure the bread and milk aisles at Walmart are completely void of all produce and uh, packaging at this point. And people are thinking that this is the end of the world, but you made it. You are here at Awaken. We're glad you guys are here. Let's just clap that you drove all the way here. North venue, south venue. Hey, let's keep putting our hands together for our online audience, wherever they're joining us from around the world. Glad you guys are here. Starting a brand new series today that I'm going to tell you about. Um, if you are joining us online, we're glad for that, but you don't get the benefit of free donuts for everybody today. Come on, that's a, that's a great perk to being at church, right? So that's a, that we just wanted to show the church a little extra love today. So some calorie love is always, is always good. Well, today on a, uh, a day that is marked Valentine's Day, it's the day that is most associated with love in our culture. And of course, then in our culture that is a social media culture that thrives on the currency of likes and lust, um, today we begin a brand new series called Vital. We're going to talk about the important, most essential function of the body. And what we're going to learn over the course of the next few weeks is that with the topic that we're going to be studying, we fulfill the greatest commandment, we imitate God. In fact, Jesus says, with this, you will prove that you belong to him in the first place. But what we're going to see today in our text is that without it, the Bible says we are nothing. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. You can open up your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is Paul writing to the Corinthian church and he's describing the members of the body and how everybody, if you are a part of the, the body of Christ, you call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, then you've been given a gift. And so as a member of the body, you should be functioning within those giftings and that calling. And so 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talk about the members of the body and how the, the body functions. But right in the middle of those two chapters, just like the heart in your chest, it describes the way, the force that helps those body parts, those members of the body function properly and even more importantly, impact eternally. So we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13 is our text. 1 Corinthians 13 is often called the love chapter, which is like really great for Valentine's Day, right? It's like boys to men, the love chapter. Now, here's the thing. Um, I just went 90s on you, first of all. Second of all, um, when we talk about the love chapter, we think of 1 Corinthians 13. And, you, you know, sometimes it, when, when you pull 1 Corinthians 13 out of its context, then what it turns into is, is like this sentimental love poem. And that's nice, and it's real poetic and stuff, but you need to understand the original context of the book and this chapter in particular. It was not written as the original Valentine's Day card, okay? You're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 typically on a, on a wedding invite, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't originally written to like make us feel all flowery and in love like Valentine's Day uh, does for so many. It's not, it wasn't originally meant that way. In fact, 
First Corinthians 13, our context that we're going to see is really more of a rebuke about the, the use of the spiritual gifts void of love. It was, a, it was written to a church that was doing a lot of things on the outside that looked really good, but they were missing the lifeblood inside. They were missing the thing that made it all work in the first place. So it's obviously vital that we would understand how this works out in in the church. And so as we learn how to love over the next few weeks, this isn't so much romantic love. This is how we function toward each other as the church, not toward not only toward each other, but toward those outside, those who we are inviting in, um, because it's love that we're going to see is is so important. And we're going to learn how to love because we're not great at this. And I'm not talking about love like you love cheeseburgers or you love manicures, okay? Uh, you might love those things. But what we're talking about over the next few weeks is unconditional, self-sacrificial, life-changing, Jesus-centered love. And what I want you to understand is that it is vital for us to have this love to be the church and the people that God has called us to be, all right? So we're going to learn how this plays out in the body of Christ. And, you know, speaking of the body, Barbie has been in the news recently. I don't know if you've known this. Um, So I I asked my daughters if I could borrow a Barbie. I promise this is not mine. So they gave me, uh, they told me that horseback riding Barbie was the best. So they brought down horseback riding Barbie. And, uh, now, Barbie, um, here's the thing, 2016 marks the evolution of the Barbie. If you haven't read the news, um, she now comes in all kinds of different shapes and sizes and skin tones. Um, they've got, no joke, they've got curvy Barbie, tall Barbie, petite Barbie, and plain old original Barbie. She just rides horses now, you know. Um, so I was, I was doing some, some Barbie research this week, and um, I, I promise, what I, the stats I'm about to tell you, I don't just know. I had to Google, okay? Um, I found out that um, Barbie, over the years, she's been around for some like 60 years now, um, she, she's looking pretty good for 60, you know? She's been around for a little while, and she, um, she's had seven siblings so far. She's had over 50 pets, not only cats and dogs, but she has a horse. She at one point had a chimpanzee, a panda. She's got she's got kind of like the array of pets. And I also read that she has uh, had over 130 careers in the last 60 or so years. So you thought you had a hard time skipping around between jobs. I mean, she's been a cashier at McDonald's, no joke. Um, she's been a, uh, a business uh, lady. She's been, uh, let's see, what else? A nurse, a teacher, a, a, a cashier. She was at one point rapping, rocking Barbie. She came with a boom box and she tried out the hip hop scene. In fact, I even read that she went to the moon as an astronaut four years before Neil Armstrong. So take that, NASA. It should have been taking some notes from Mattel, right? So she's had quite the array of... Um, of features, accessories, careers, siblings, pets. She's also had quite the array of drama in her life. Um, Back in 2004, she made the news because after 43 years of dating, Ken, which by the way, 43 years of dating is its own problem, but their hearts were broken and they, they separated after 43 years of dating. And she had a momentary fling with an Australian surfer named Blaine. 
and uh, but Blaine couldn't hold on to her for too long. Ken came in, won her heart back, and I actually found out that Valentine's Day is a historic day in Ken and Barbie's relationship because just five years ago on Valentine's Day, 2011, Ken proposed and Barbie said yes, ladies and gentlemen. Love is back in the air. Can we clap for Barbie and Ken? No, we don't need to. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so love is in the air. So now I guess they're married. They're living the happily ever after life because we all know once we get married, it is easy, smooth cruising from there, right? Married people? No, not exactly. That's okay. We're going to learn about love. So she's got all kinds of features and she can bend and move and ride horses and all kinds of stuff. Some of them talk, some of them, they have so many things like, like, you know, and, and kids love this because you can buy Barbie and you can do so many things with her. Now, what I want you to understand today is that similarly, you and I may be very functional. We may have lots of great things about us. We may be able to say, in fact, I've checked out my resume, see how far I've climbed up this ladder. I've been successful. I have all of these great things about me. But here's the thing about Barbie. She's lacking some very important things. In particular, among many things that she's lacking is blood. We're thankful for that. That would be weird if there was bleeding Barbie. But because she's lacking blood, she's lacking life as well. So here's what we have to understand. Even though Barbie from the outside might look like a pretty functional, functional doll, you could do lots of great things, kids love this, this kind of thing, just because everything on the outside may seem like it's put together, if you're lacking the lifeblood inside, there is no life. And you know it works the same way as a church as well? The church can be, and when I say the church, this could mean a local church or the church just nationally around the world. The church can be growing rapidly, singing loudly, giving generously, but if there is no lifeblood of love inside, it's all for nothing. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 has to say to us. Um, if you guys are there in your Bibles, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 13 today. Um, and, and we just have to understand that it's so vitally important, in fact, the most important thing, that we would have the blood of Jesus Christ, His love and His life pumping through our spiritual veins. So I've entitled this message, Lifeblood, because it is so important that we have Jesus' love pumping through our veins, as we're going to see today. Without it, we're wasting our time. Without Jesus's blood pumping through our spiritual veins. We are nothing, to quote from our text today. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read the first three verses together. This is Paul writing, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove the mountains, that's some big faith, but have not love, say it with me, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, say it with me, I gain nothing. So this is far from a sentimental love poem. This isn't a, a, a slow jam 
You know, this is a rebuke in a way of what it looks like for a church or for individuals to have everything seemingly working on the outside without any love on the inside. And so I have three important things that I want you to jot down. And of course, as the Lord speaks, anything that that uh, you want to remember, you should write down. But number one, write this down. Let's start here. If you've received God's love, be quick to give it away. So if you've received God's love, there's something you need to be doing with it. Now, let's just establish first off what kind of love we're talking about here. Because the English language is notoriously bad for being descriptive of certain things. Um, in fact, specifically the word love, it can just be very shallow in the English language. We use it about all, all things all the time, right? Like I might tell you on Valentine's Day or any day, I love my wife. I love my Valentine. I love my kids. But I might also at some point tell you I love coffee. I love my back porch when it's really nice outside. I also love my, love my wife's green chili chicken enchiladas. I love them. I love them. All right. But not in exactly the same way that I love my wife. Are you tracking with me on that? Not in the same way that I love with my kids. Not in the same way. So like I can say, you can say love in a lot of different ways, but it has a lot of different meanings in, in whatever context you're talking about. Now, the good thing is with Greek, which is the language that this book was originally, uh, this letter was originally written in, it's a lot deeper, richer language. In fact, they have multiple words to describe different types of love. And it's important as we prepare for these next few weeks learning about love that we understand what kind of love we're talking about. Because there's one love, a Greek word called eros, which would be romantic love. This would be like Valentine's Day love, like, hey girl, that's that kind of love, okay? Eros, love. Or you got phileo love, which is like brotherly kindness, brotherly love. It's what we're all of us are called to do toward each other. Um, brotherly kindness, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, being kind to one another. You know, that is, that's important. But this is a completely different kind of love that we're talking about here today. In fact, the word used in 1 Corinthians 13 for the love that we'll be discussing over the next few weeks is the word agape. You may have heard that at some point. But this word means... It's the love that God has for us. It is self-sacrificing. It's unconditional. It never ends. It never goes away. It keeps going. We're going to see that in the coming verses over the next few weeks. And, and so we have to understand, just beginning from, from the very start here, that just as the Bible commands us to um, imitate God in lots of different things, whether it's you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. You've been given mercy, you need to give mercy. We also know that we're called to imitate the Lord in the way that we love. You've been loved, you are loved, so you have to give love. Anybody thankful for God's love? Man, I'm so thankful that regardless of what I've done, God is ready to forgive. I'm so thankful that regardless of how far I've run, God says, hey, I got mercy to cover that. I got grace for that. Oh, oh, you, man, that's a pretty bad sin that you've gotten yourself into. Guess what? My grace can overcome that sin. And so just like we've received God's forgiveness, just like we've received God's mercy and his grace, we are called to give those things. It's the same with love. You have love. Understand this. You have received love so that you can give love. Do you understand that? You didn't, you didn't think like, Here's the thing. The gift of God's love is a little bit different than the gift of the Valentine's Day conversation hearts that you got today. All right. Like you might pop those bad boys and just eat them all yourself. But 
And that might have been a gift for you, but God's gift to you, his love was to be received and to flow out of you. If you've gotten it, if you've received it, then you have to give it. You've received it so that, in fact, so that you can give it. Now, we don't naturally like giving things away, especially when they're valuable things. We like to, we like to hold on to stuff. But what I hope that we can understand through this, through this text um, over the next few weeks is that you have gotten love so that you can give love. That's the whole point. You've received it so you can give it. You are called, all of us as followers of Jesus, to imitate him. It's not for you to hoard. And here's the cool thing about God's love. If you're worried about giving it away and you don't have anything left for yourself, that's not how God's love works. This is the good news, right? The good news is what you're going to find is that the more you pour love out on the people that God loves, the more in love with God you will feel. Are you tracking with me? It's this crazy thing that happens when you and I begin to embrace the fact that God loves people. That Jesus died for people. He's not after money. He's not after all of our stuff. He just wants us. And when we fall in love with God, I believe what will begin to happen is we will begin to fall in love with the things that God loves. What does he love? People. God loves people of all kinds, of all shapes, of all sizes, of all skin tones, of all languages, of all backgrounds, of all sin types. Who are we to say that because I sin differently than you, then I'm better? If you've received God's love, you're called to give it. Now, if you haven't received God's love, it's there for the taking, but you got to start there. Before we talk about anything else, this, this message today is not just like, let's try to be better human beings, okay? This is, we got to start with God's love. You got to start there. That's the starting line. And once you've received it, you've been called to give it. I believe we are the conduit of God's love. God pours into us so it can pour out of us onto the people all around us. Amen? Number two, jot this down. The gifts void of love are ineffective and destructive. Now, this is an interesting thought because our world will tell us when it comes to gifts, well, it's the thought that counts. Well, okay, maybe. Maybe it's the thought that they thought of you and they went and got that thing for you. But biblically speaking, it's not the thought that counts. It's not that we just took some extra time to ponder on some good things. Paul says it's actually a lot different than that. In fact, in our three verses that we're covering just today, I can count seven spiritual gifts that he says are nothing if they're not infused with love. Follow me. Verse 1, he talks about the gift of tongues. Verse 2, he talks about the gift of prophecy. Um, what I would also call the word of knowledge. The word of wisdom. He talks about faith that can move mountains. How about verse 3? He talks about giving. That's a spiritual gift. He also talks about suffering. If you didn't think suffering was a spiritual gift, read Philippians chapter 1, where Paul says you have been gifted with the opportunity to suffer for Christ. So I, I read seven different spiritual gifts that, that Paul is talking about here. And I find it interesting that he begins with eloquent speech. He's talking about tongues. He says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. In other words, if I have the gift of tongues and I'm able to do a couple things. One is I can speak a language that I don't typically know, but that is another man, uh, uh, human language. That's the gift of tongues. 
or the gift of angels. I have the gift of tongues, and I, you, you might say, and I can speak this prayer language that's like a, a, a language that only the angels know. Only me and the Lord can speak. I may be able to speak those things, he says, but it doesn't matter how eloquent my speech is. Without love, he says, look at verse 1. What am I? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, symbols aren't bad. In fact, we have, um, I'm going to walk over here to our symbols. We have a, uh, we have a worship team. We have, come on, can we put our hands together for our worship teams? How great are they? Both venues. This is fun. Sounds different in here. Um, so we've got full bands in both venues, crashing cymbals, amping up our worship. I love that. Cause I don't think worshiping a living God should be boring. Come on, somebody, right? I think, I think we should be able to be loud and excited. And, uh, if you don't like that, then bring some earplugs next time. Uh, so we got, we got bands in both venues and crashing cymbals. You got to know that there's nothing unbiblical with cymbals. You know, Paul's saying, if I don't have love when I speak, then I'm like a symbol. I'm like a clashing symbol. That's not necessarily a bad thing, being a clashing symbol. Psalm 150 says that we should praise the Lord with the loud clashing symbols. But you also have to understand the context of Psalm 150. It's worship. Everything that has breath, let it praise the Lord. So here's what Paul's saying. If we are speaking as eloquently as you have ever heard, but we're doing it without love, here's what we sound like. Yeah. You with me on that? Did it? Did you guys hear that? Could you hear it? Let me do it one more time in case you didn't hear the, the, the crashing. Paul says, if you are the most eloquent, if you gave the most eloquent sermon anyone has ever heard, and it was not driven by love, here's what it sounds like. Okay, now here's... Track. Now, follow with me, okay? Drumsticks. Okay, follow with me. If we are speaking eloquently, saying things that seem nice, giving a great sermon, teaching the kids in a way that they've never been taught so great in their life, and we're doing it without love, we are just like that clashing symbol that is momentarily electrifying and fading quickly. It has no substance. It's nice, but on its own, it just grabs our attention and then it's gone. There's no depth. Are you tracking with me? So it just is, it's not going to last without love. That's the depth. That's the roots. That's the substance of what we have. And so we have to be driven by love, even in the things that we say. Now he just starts there in verse one and he keeps building. Hey, I, I love the gifts that he's talking about here. Verse two is talking about Mountain moving faith. That's a lot of faith. Like I could, I could just talk to some mountains and, and get them moving. That's a lot of faith. He keeps building. Verse three, he's talking about giving away everything that I have. And then it takes it to what I would say is the furthest, the biggest sacrifice anybody could take. He says, if I give my body to be burned, martyrdom, like I'm paying the ultimate Price. I'm laying down my life for somebody else. Now, when we look at those things, we applaud those gifts. We applaud those actions and that sacrifice. But he's saying something pretty hardcore here. He says, it doesn't matter how much you give. 
it doesn't matter. In fact, even if you go to the stake to be burned, because if my gifts and my actions lack the lifeblood of love, I am nothing and I gain nothing. That's heavy, isn't it? And you know what's crazy about this is that Jesus said that these types of actions, when fueled by love, understand the context in Matthew chapter 5, are good things. In fact, you have a reward for them. Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. So, So he talks about the fact that apart from love, It doesn't even get the reward that Jesus says is waiting. Matthew 5, Jesus says, Your reward in heaven is great when you are persecuted for loving Jesus. But Paul says it doesn't matter about your sacrifice or how much you gave. You lose all the benefits and all the rewards when you do it with a selfish motive not done in love. Man, that's heavy. This take this kind of now you're you you might have thought First Corinthians thirteen was just a nice love poem. It's gotten a little heavy all of a sudden, right? Roses are blue, roses are red, violets are blue. What is this all about? You know, man, this is this is some heavy stuff. So Paul's saying, man, it's not about the external stuff. Hear me, it's about what's going on on the inside. What's fueling it? What's your motivation behind it? What is driving you with it? Because here's the big principle for us. Without love, the gifts that we exercise, the things that we give and do, they're not only ineffective, but there's something even worse. They're not only ineffective. What we know to be true is that if it's a if it's a gift done without love, it's not from God in the first place. And in that case, they're not only ineffective, they become destructive. How crazy is it? that we could do something that on the outside looked amazingly loving and on the inside earn nothing for it and be nothing because of it. Wow. Paul is really helping us understand here what this is all about. Now, please hear me. This is, a, this is an important warning for us. Satan, if you are a follower of Jesus, Satan cannot touch your eternity, but he can ruin your effectiveness in this life. This should be a, a, a warning for all of us. When you put your faith in Christ, your salvation now is as secure as God's grip is tight. He's holding, he's holding on to you. But there are many people who will make it to heaven who waste their entire life here on earth because they were distracted by something and motivated by something other than love. How crazy is it that even the greatest acts of sacrifice and giving on the outside can be worthless when not done by the, by the correct motivation on the inside. Because here's what this all boils down to. It doesn't matter what you say you would die for. What matters is what you're currently living for. Well, I would die for my faith. I would die for that guy. I would die for it. But what are you living for? Right? How many of us would, would say, well, if it came down to that, I would stand up for my faith. I would, I would, I would die for that. But what are you living for right now? Because it's not so much about would you, what you would do when that maybe happens down the road. No, what are you doing right now? That's what you're called to be faithful with. The opportunities that are right in front of you. It's about 
that. So it doesn't matter what you die for. It matters what you're living for. Now, this leads us to number three. Jot this down. Really living means really loving. I was originally going to say that this point was called the best life is a love life. And then I was like, well, it's Valentine's Day. I don't know if we need to be going there in our minds. So I just went with really living is really loving. That's really what this comes down to. Um, now, I know we're, that we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, but the setup for this chapter really comes from the last verse of chapter 12. Paul has spent 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describing the gifts and how they work out in, in the lives of uh, the followers of Jesus. And um, he's describing all of this. And then he, it's crazy. He talks about all of these different gifts, varieties of gifts and varieties of service and varieties of activities. And um, toward the, the closing of the chapter, he talks about prophets and teachers and miracles and healing and helping and administration and tongues and all of this stuff. But then check out the very last verse, chapter 12, verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he goes into, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. You see what he's saying here? What we're talking about, he's saying, oh, we're talking about all the gifts, but let me tell you the best gift. Let me tell you what you really should be living your life for. His point is this, it was never about the gifts. It was never about all of the things that he's been writing about in all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 14. He had to write these things because people were getting carried away with all the outside stuff, the external things. Paul says it wasn't ever actually about any of that. It was about love. Let me tell you, you need to desire the higher gifts. Let me show you a more excellent way. And then we break into 1 Corinthians 13 about love. He says in chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, here's what he's saying. You've been given a gift. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have gifts. And the point is that you were given that gift not to keep to yourself, but for the common good, for the good of everybody else. You know why we talk about serving here all the time at Awaken? Because there are other people who should be benefiting from the gifts that God has given you. This is what we're called to do as a church. We're to call, we're called to be good stewards of what God has given us. So we're to do, we're to use them, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for the benefit of, of everyone. And then it goes on in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. He says, let all things be done for building up. You have a gift so that you can build somebody else up. Think about that for a moment. What are you doing? What is your life right now? look like when it comes to building other people up. Paul says, whatever it is, whatever gift you have, and there's a variety of them, same spirit, but many gifts, they should be done to build others up for the benefit of the body, for everybody's good, so, so that we're building one another up. I like to think of the spiritual gifts as the love distribution vehicles, okay? Think about it this way. I like to explain things through ice cream. Think about your gifts as the ice cream truck, okay? How many ice cream truck fans out there, okay? Because you don't have to be a kid to like the ice cream truck, right? The good thing about having kids, though, though, is that you can get excited about it without anybody actually knowing that you're that excited about it. Hey, kids, the ice cream truck is a kid out there, right? You're like, 
Hey, what's up, man? I'm just out here for the kids. I'll take a couple Choco Tacos while I'm here, you know? You get pretty excited about your, your, your ice cream truck. I can understand that. Um, so, so here's the thing about the ice cream truck. Think about it. We can look past the shady exterior. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're going to sell me ice cream out of that van? With that janky song playing on like two of the three speakers on top of your car? All right, I'll have three Choco Tacos while you're at it, right? Like we can overlook what's happening on the outside as long as he's got some substance on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Now, if the most tricked out ice cream truck comes rolling down your street, it's like a Hummer limo. Like it's 20 something feet long and it is beautiful and pristine and it's got like speakers not only on the top but like in the spinners on the wheels you know like it is blasting some great music and he rolls down the window and he's all out of all ice cream oh yeah oh no first corinthians 13 i'm gonna steal from there i gain nothing from that ice cream truck right like it doesn't matter how flashy and great it looks on the outside it's about what's on the inside that's the ice cream truck gospel for all of you, okay? It's not about how flashy the outside is. Well, I'm using my gifts and I'm doing my thing. I just check out how much I've been given to this organization. And I've, man, I, I volunteer every Sunday, all three services. And I do this and I do that, but it's not about the outside. What if you're doing all of those things and you're not motivated by love? You know what the Bible says? I gain nothing and I am nothing. It doesn't matter. It's always been about the motivation of the heart. And this is where you got to understand the importance of this. Guys, I am never here to preach a religion. Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is not a denomination. Jesus didn't say, follow my people. He said, follow me. He said, I want you. I died for you. I'm not after all of your stuff. I'm not after your show. He started in the Old Testament and he, and he said, well, you got to sacrifice this lamb when there's a certain sin. And then another sin, you got to sacrifice this bull. And then there's this sacrifice, this bird. And you got all these things. But he was never after the sacrifice. The sacrifices pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice. And that sacrifice of his son pointed toward love that he died for you. And for me, he's just always wanted a relationship. It's never been about how flashy the outside is. It's only ever been about the love. Who cares about the gifts without the love? Love is the lifeblood of the church and every Christian. If you want to see this demonstrated, think about Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was very gifted. Did you know that? He was very administratively gifted. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, you can read about the gift of administrations. It's important. He was the bookkeeper of the disciples. He was the guy who uh, took, collected the money, oversaw the treasury. He was so gifted, in fact, he was doing so many great things on the outside that he had all the other 11 disciples fooled. Of course, he didn't ha ever have Jesus fooled. But he had the other 11 disciples fooled. Down to the final moment when he betrayed Jesus, the other disciples couldn't fit it in their head. Why is Judas on that side instead of with us? So here's the warning for all of us. If Judas, one of the guys who ate with Jesus and walked with Jesus, 
and witnessed the miracles firsthand of Jesus, could see it and do it all without love, how much greater is the opportunity for us to do the same? Flashy outside, no substance on the inside. Flashy outside, no lifeblood on the inside, which means death on the inside. Now I know because it's Valentine's Day, you're going to hear all kinds of uh, love advice, how to display it, how to show it. You know, so you got um, wherever you go, you're gonna you're gonna get all kinds of stuff. Uh, I I read actually a couple articles from the Huffington Post the other day. Which, by the way, if you need some love advice, don't go there. A um, couple quotes from some articles that I read. One uh, was entitled "A Letter to the Single Ladies." Here's what they would tell you. You just have to believe in yourself. Quote, if you're true to yourself and good to yourself, love will come. To what I would say, what does that mean? <laughs> what? And then another article said, the essence of our current plight is that we are increasingly lacking in true human connections. The most important relation a pers- relationship a person can have is one with his or her own self. Wow. You know what this article is? It's a clashing symbol. Momentarily electrifying. I got published on Huffington Post. Who cares? That won't last. There's no substance. There's no real love here. Okay? They're going to give you all your, all your advice. Now, I don't know where else you're going to hear love advice. One possibility would be Delilah and her slow jams. 90s people. You know what I'm talking about. How about your cheesy... Uh, Valentine's Day cards. You know that that Delilah mentioned seemed to really resonate with a few of you guys here. You're jamming that on the way home on Valentine's Day, right? Woo! Happy Hearts Day. You get all kinds of cheesy, um, cheesy Valentine's Day cards. How about XO? You can display your love in all kinds of different ways. It could be XO if you want to go hugs and kisses, kisses and hugs. Or if you're really into farming, it could be ox. You know, like either way, I just want to display my love for oxen. We're plowing fields all the time, right? You got so many ways to display your love. Let's see here. You got some uh, hearts. QT pie. Alex, there you go. Uh, let's see, what else? We got conversation hearts. H and K. Uh, I don't want that. Justin, that'll work for you. Not the K part, but the H is cool. Uh, cool. Anybody can. There you go. There you go, Amanda. So, so you got like conversation hearts. You got, you know, whatever it is. So many ways to display your love. So many things that you can demonstrate your love by doing. Take out for a, a, a fancy meal. Buy some flowers. All of those things are good. But here's the thing. We need love. All of us need love. X's and O's. But not that kind of relationship love. You know, Valentine's Day for some can be a really fun, love-filled, romantic day. For others, it's a very lonely, challenging day. I feel like, man, I'm just lacking that human relationship that I need, that I wish, that I had. Here's the thing. If you are running around trying to find your hope and fulfillment in a human relationship, I want you to know two things. Number one, you're on the right track. You need a relationship. But number two, you're just doing it with the wrong person. 
You need a relationship. Every one of us needs a relationship. We all need something more. But here's the thing. You will never find that love and fulfillment in another human being. You will only ever find it in Jesus Christ. He's it. He's our hope. And so all of us have a deep and desperate need for love. And our deepest need is that the lifeblood of God's love would be pumping through our veins. And so how do we love? How do we do this? How do we learn this? Well, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that we love because He first loved us. The beautiful thing about any time we talk about love is that we learn what love is all about through Jesus Christ Himself. He's the one who gives us a definition and a visual of what love is. And I need you to understand that it is only by the love, the true love of Jesus, that you will ever learn what life is all about. Because when you cut Jesus, He bleeds love. It pumps out of His veins. Thousands of years ago, it ran down the cross and it pulled at the bottom and that blood was forever a reminder for us of our great need and the price tag that was on our lives. He purchased us at the ultimate cost. You were worth it to Him. So, please hear me on this and understand the heart behind this vital series. Vital is never, has never been and will never be about let's do more. Let's be more humanitarian. Let's love more and let's just be better people. It's not about telling you that you need to just be a better person. Vital, and I pray every time you come here, is about raising the bar so high that we realize I could never fulfill that. And then by inserting the good news, it's okay. Jesus has fulfilled it. You don't have to try any longer. We love because He first loved us. There's hope because His name is Jesus. And His lifeblood pumping through our veins is our deepest need. Thank you for joining us for the first week of Vital, a production of Awakened Church. Next week, we continue this series as we learn the marks of love and see that love is primarily selfless and active in nature.